welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. Riverside Church is a community of believers striving side-by-side for the gospel in the greater New Orleans area. For more information about Riverside Church, go to riversidelife.org. chapter 1, verses 12 to 26 is the passage of scripture I just read to you, uh, held before you this morning. That's what we'll be taking a look at, um, is in our, our part two. So we've done an introduction, an introduction to Acts, and now we've done part one, um, and now we are in part two, and we're going to finish Acts chapter 1 um, this morning. Uh, sometimes uh, we have a tendency to make things uh, very complicated, don't we? We tend to make our lives very complicated. We tend to make decisions uh, very complicated. And there is sometimes I, I wonder if the Lord looks at his church and looks at his people and asks the question, why are you making this uh, so complicated? And there's no doubt that the apostles and these first disciples, these 120 in number, uh, including Mary and uh, other women and Jesus's brothers who are all gathered here uh, in this scene, in this upper room that I just read before you, um, there's no doubt uh, that they could have made things very complicated. And there's no doubt uh, that they were living in very complicated times, uh, still trying to piece together, uh, understand what they've seen. That the fullness of time had come and God had sent forth their son, his son, and they had walked with Jesus. They had seen him dead, buried, and resurrected. And for some 40 days, they had walked with him. They'd seen him eat fish and tell him, peace, I'm not a spirit, I'm really bodily resurrected. He had walked with some of them on the road to Emmaus to explain the scriptures to them and how all they point, how they all point to Christ and you know, they still had questions that at this time would Israel be restored because they understood that uh, to be a part of the coming of Christ, that Israel would, would be restored. And, and so you, you have to know that this could have been a little bit complicated. Uh, they were still trying to piece things together, exactly what it meant for the kingdom of God and Israel to be restored. And, and certainly they were wondering what, what the next few days might look like. We're going to see Pentecost next week, and there's only about a, a week and a half, about 10 days between the Ascension and Pentecost, but they don't know that at this point, right? They've just been told it's for the Father to know the time you go to Jerusalem and wait. That's their job at this point. That's what the Lord has commanded. Don't worry about the, the times Jesus has said. Don't worry about the time. You go obey and wait, and I will send the Spirit. And, and so understand this about these early disciples in this 10-day window between the Ascension and Pentecost, that they were living in a pivotal moment in redemptive history. And all of history was leading up to this, and they were experiencing this. And certainly they were overwhelmed. And perhaps we feel a bit of that, though we're not living in that part of history. Perhaps you feel this, that we tend to overcomplicate our lives. We tend to overcomplicate decisions and we tend to overcomplicate even churches at this, uh, even overcomplicate churches and, and how we carry about the Lord's business. And we tend to make things complicated because life can feel quite complicated. Uh, do you ever feel overwhelmed wondering what's coming next? Do you ever feel overwhelmed of what the Lord might be doing next? Well, well, this is what we see in the early church, and we get this, this cameo. So of all the things to record uh, during the time between Ascension and Pentecost, 
This is what the Holy Spirit inspires Luke to record for us that we might learn from today. And, and what we get is this cameo of the early church before Pentecost waiting to see what might be next. And, and if we get what's going on in this early church, here's what we're going to discover this morning. We're going to see how believers are to live how churches are to function, and how we can live at peace even when we are uncertain how the details will play out. Because the Lord had told them peace, peace, wait, peace. He told that in Luke chapter 24. And so how are they to live in peace when when they don't know exactly how all of this is going to play out? Though they were living an exciting time, It was likely baffling and overwhelming and a bit complicated. And though complicated, Jesus had what Jesus had told them was clear and it was simple. Wait for power and witness to the nations. And so what these first followers of Jesus do in the waiting, in this waiting time, will help us to learn how to trust God and to seek his will. Are you ready? Well, Acts chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. And then they read, I'm going to read this. We've already held this before us, but let's look at it again. And they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James, 11 of them. And these were with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. The, the first thing I want you to see in this In this early church, this cameo we get of this gathering of 120 some odd believers, the first thing I want you to see is they obeyed. They obeyed. The Lord had told them to go to Jerusalem and wait. And what did they do? They walked to Jerusalem. They went to the upper room and they waited just as the Lord had told them. Now, now these apostles likely could have had things to do. Peter could have been wondering at this time, this is just speculation, could have been wondering this time, maybe I should go back fishing for a little while. Get a little money, do a little something. The Lord hasn't told us how long. I'm going to go do that. I'm going to kind of go along with my life and, and do what I think I need to do. And, and then maybe when the Spirit comes in, I'll carry on with the Lord's mission. These Apostles likely had things to do and probably things they could have been doing, but they were told to wait. They were told to go to Jerusalem. So what did they do? They went to Jerusalem and they waited. They obeyed what the Lord had commanded. The command was simple. Wait in in Jerusalem and don't depart from there until you receive the Spirit. They gathered in the upper room. It may be the place of the Last Supper. Some have speculated it's other rooms, but, but that's not important of where they were meeting, waiting. The, the important thing is that how crucial it was that they were obeying the commands of the Lord. They didn't overcomplicate the situation. They obeyed. They simply obeyed. And here's the truth. When our lives are submitted to Jesus, we will trust and obey what he says. Sometimes simple obedience is the hardest part, isn't it? Sometimes simple obedience is the hardest part, especially when obedience means waiting or not fully grasping what the Lord is doing. Why do we find it so hard to obey? I think it's because we think we know better. 
We could be doing more productive things in this 10 days. Couldn't, we don't know how long. So, so we could be going back to fishing. We could be going back to carry on with our own normal day lives. We could be doing something else that would feel more productive. But, but no, the Lord commanded us to wait. So we will wait. We might think we know better, but we don't know better. The Lord knows better. Why do we find it so hard to wait? Because we think we know better of what we need to be doing. And so when even when obedience means waiting, we will wait. Why? Because to obey is better than sacrifice. Do you remember when the Lord told that to Saul through the prophet Samuel? In 1 Samuel chapter 15, Saul is going to battle. The Lord had given clear instruction through the prophet Samuel and said, you are to completely wipe out these folks, all of them, including all of their possessions. But what did Saul do? He kept their king and he kept the finest of, of sheep and goats and all of the things that they had. And then he offered them as sacrifice. And Samuel comes down and says, dude, what have you done? He said, wait, I've kept all of these wonderful animals to sacrifice to the Lord. And he says, that's not what the Lord commanded you to do. The Lord commanded you to wipe it out and you did not listen. And so what Saul did in that moment was that he, he kept for religious purposes all of these things the Lord had told him to destroy. So he cloaked his disobedience in religion. They could have done that at this point. But that's not what the Lord had told them to do. To obey is better than sacrifice. We find it hard to obey because we think we know better. We find it hard to wait because we want to be doing something. But to obey is better than sacrifice. Let me tell you one more thing about obedience we see in the Garden of Eden. That's the, the lie of the serpent, isn't it? And that ancient serpent still spews this lie to this day that if you obey God fully, you'll be miserable perpetually. He stills probably spewing that lie to some of us this morning. If you trust God fully... And wait on him. If you obey God fully, you're going to be miserable. He told that to Adam and Eve in the garden. Did God really say, if you'll eat this, you'll be happier? Do you see something like that in your life right now? To obey shows that you believe God. Your faith rests in him. You believe his way is best and you believe his way is for your good and his way will bring you not perpetual misery but perpetual joy. Those who wait on the Lord and those who obey the Lord is those that will be strengthened. And so the first thing we see about this, in this cameo of this early church, living in these complicated times, waiting on the Lord to see his power, the first thing we see that they, they obeyed. They obeyed what the Lord had commanded. The second thing we see about this early church, I, I read it a second ago, not only did they obey, but did you notice something? That they devoted themselves to prayer. Now this is going to be a theme that's going to be carried out through Acts. We're going to see in the local church something that they constantly devote themselves to is prayer. Did you see that? You can underline that in verse 14. They were all with one accord. They were devoting themselves to prayer. 
They were devoted. This is a strong expression denoting a persistence. So they were doggedly devoted to praying and to praying together corporately. What were they praying for? They, they weren't trying to pray the Spirit down. The, the Spirit had already been promised. But they were clinging to the promises of the Lord. Even though they were already giving the pro, given the promise that the Lord would send the Spirit, they still devoted themselves to prayer. Why? They were communing with Christ. It was about a relationship with Him. It was communing with Christ. There's something else about this prayer. It's not that they were praying down the Spirit, but they were communing with Christ. And get this, they were watching and they were waiting. One of the most influential sentences uh, that I read on prayer, I can't remember the name of the book now, it's sitting on my desk. Uh, oh, shucks, I, I didn't write it down because I thought I would remember it. And now standing before you this morning, I don't remember this little book on prayer. But nevertheless, I'll maybe get it to you at another time. Here's what it says about prayer. Prayer is keeping the Lord's watch. Prayer is keeping the Lord's watch. They were keeping the Lord's watch so that when he sent the Spirit down, they would be ready. They would be ready. Pray. Stay alert is what what they're doing. They're staying alert. They're lifting their eyes to the hills because they know their help would come from the Lord. God promised to help them. He promised to send the Spirit. He made that promise. The Lord has promised all who follow Him that He is working all things together for good for those that love Him and are called according to His purpose. He's promised that light momentary afflictions will prepare you for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. We don't always see that, but we promise that. We are promised that, and so we're not praying down the promise, but we are putting our eyes on the one who made the promise. We're staying alert, watching and waiting to see what the Lord will do. So we will be ready. We stay alert, lifting our eyes to the hills. That's what the early church was busy doing. They were, they were praying. The life-breathing spirit would form this community in a few days, but for now they watch and, and they wait and they keep the Lord's watch like watchmen on a wall, waiting to see what the Lord might do so they would be ready. And this is one of the reasons we have a dedicated prayer time in our service. This is one of the reasons we gather at 845. Anyone's invited to that on Sunday mornings to pray, to pray for you as you make your way here, to pray for our Sunday school hour, to pray for our worship hour, and to pray for you as you depart from here. This is the reason we need to gather more to pray because nothing will unify a church like a church that prays together. Do you see something else? Not only were they obedient, not only were they devoted to prayer, But don't miss this. Look at this again in verse 14. And all of these with one accord. They were unified. They were together. All 120 of them, not just the 11 apostles at this point that are left, not just Mary and the brothers, but together with the women. And all of these, it says, was about 120 people. So as they wait, these remaining 11 apostles plus the full company of about 120 are waiting for the Lord. They're praying and as they do, they're obeying and they are unified together as a congregation. You say, only 120? That's a, yeah. That's a, even a little less than even the membership of this church. But Lord, they were obeying. They were watching. 
They were waiting to see what the Lord might do. And they were unified, not just being physically together, though that is part of being unified, that we actually rub physical shoulders together and are side by side, but they were united in prayer and they were united in heart and they were united in mind. It could be said that they were ready to strive side by side for the gospel. Psalm 133 says, behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Ephesians 4.3 says, Be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. 1 Peter chapter 3.8 says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Romans 15.7 Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Do you see what the, the church is commanded? That we are to be a unified people. And the way that unity shows up is the way we treat one another. The way we function together, even the way we welcome one another is as Christ has welcomed us. Romans 12, 12, 12.10, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. 1 Corinthians 12.25, let there be no division in the body, but that the members may care for one another. 2 Corinthians 13.11, finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live at peace with one another, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Galatians 5.26, let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. Ephesians 4.2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bear with one another in love. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. This kind of unity will change the world. This is what Jesus prayed for his disciples in John 17.23. He prays that, that they would be perfectly one and unified. Why? That the world may know you sent me and that you love them. So we get this beautiful cameo of an early church that they are an obedient church. They obey, what this, they obey the words of Christ. We see that they're a praying church. They devote themselves to prayer. We see that they're a unified church, uh, thus fulfilling the prayer of Christ, that they would be unified in loving one another, showing the gospel to one another so that they might see Christ in the way that they treat one another. So in this early church, we see a, an obedient church, a praying church, a unified church, unified around their mission, unified around their Christ. Here's what else we see. They were a Bible-saturated church. In those days, verse 15, we can see it here. Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120. And he said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. And then it goes on to, to describe what happened to Judas as uh, Judas hung himself. And it says, for it is written in the book of Psalms. And, and so notice what Peter is doing. So now Peter is kind of standing up as on the rock he will build this church, Christ says. And so now Peter's standing up. Uh, Peter is, is, is reading his Bible, what he has with the Psalms. And he's beginning to apply it to the life of Judas 
and the things that happened in the gospel. And, and, and I have to wonder that, that if this is part of what Jesus helped them understand on the road to Emmaus. Because re- remember when they were on the road to Emmaus uh, after Jesus' resurrection, uh, it, it says that their hearts burned within them as, as Jesus helped them to understand how all of the law and the prophets were, were, were about Christ. That he was to fulfill all these things. So, so, so now they're beginning to understand the scriptures more and more. And, and now Peter is saying that this has been inspired by the Holy Spirit. So they're not waiting necessarily for the Spirit to, to show up as if the Spirit has been on the bench. The, the Spirit even inspired the Old Testament scriptures. And he's saying, this is how this applies, applies to us, this Holy and Spirit inspired text. And so he opens the Psalms and says, one, one, his camp will become desolate and there will be no one to dwell in it. And then he turns to this other psalm, let another take his office. And so Peter is, is saturated in, in this holy inspired scripture, perhaps something Jesus taught them on the road to Emmaus, that now they're able to apply these texts correctly for Jesus have, having taught them how to, to read their Bibles. And so he makes this, here's, here's what the scripture says. But not only were their Bibles saturated, church, so here's what the Bible says. Notice what they began to do. Like, we need to apply this. We don't just need to know this, right? We need to apply the text to our situation that we are in. So one of the men who had accompanied us, verse 21, during all the time that the Lord went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men's must, men must become a witness to his resurrection. Verse 23 of chapter 1 and they put forward two, Joseph called Bersabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And so not only did they open their Bibles when they were together, they applied the Scriptures. They read the Bible. Think of it like this. They read the Bible. They knew the Bible. And listen to me good. The Bible read them. We can't miss that part, that we need the Bible, not just to stand over the Bible, but stand under the Scriptures. Lord, tell us how to imply, apply this with the help of the Holy Spirit. We sit under the Scriptures. We hear the truth of the Scriptures. Lord, let the Scripture read my life. Let it read my life, that I might live according to your Word. They were saturated in the Bible. They were able to understand the Bible as was all about Christ, but they realized they also needed to believe the Bible and apply it to their life. And here's the particular application for them. They needed to get their house in order. We've already told there's, a, there's 11 disciples left and uh, apostles left and about 120 disciples. And, and so they realized that they need to let another take the office of Judas. And maybe you're wondering, why is that? Why does Judas need to be replaced? Here was one that they say was numbered among us. He was allotted a share of ministry, and yet he walked away, and he betrayed Christ. And now Judas is out. They're only left with 11. Does does the choosing of Matthias imply some sort of apostolic succession? Meaning that there always needs to be 12 apostles. When one apostle dies, do they perpetually need to replace these apostles? And, and, and that's not what's going on here. That is descriptive. This section of scripture is descriptive, not prescriptive. It's not saying 
that we always need to replace apostles perpetually and there's some kind of apostolic succession. But they are saying for their time in, in history that they need to replace Judas with a qualified person, one who had walked who had, from the baptism to the resurrection, had beheld all these things, so they choose two qualifying leaders. And, and so why is this? Because the, the circle was broken. The reason that Jesus chooses 12, apo- 12 apostles is telling us that this is the, the, the new Israel. These, this is like the 12 tribes of Israel, and, and they need to get their house in order. The circle needs to be completed, if you will, if they are to carry about this mission. Here's what one author says. Jesus chooses 12 apostles like the 12 tribes of Israel and establishes a new people of God. Adam and Israel both failed in their mission to multiply image bearers who reflect and enjoy the glory of God. But now there is Jesus, the last Adam, the true Israel. He has come not just to set things right, but to make them better than ever before, which he does by creating a new humanity, a people for God's own possession to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into marvelous light, a people called the church. And so does this mean, let's think with me just for a second, and then we're going to start to land this in a moment. Does this mean the church directly replaces Israel? Uh, Yes and maybe no. It seems that in Romans 11, there's a time in the future when hardened ethnic Israel will experience a great conversion and a remnant will come out of them and, and trust in Christ. And it seems like that's going to happen. So you get into all this eschatology and end times understanding. But, but, but what we know, without getting tangled in all of that, here's what we know. Follow with me. That the apostles' question was right. When will Israel be restored? And Jesus told them it was not for them to know, but wait. What they're waiting for is the empowering of the Holy Spirit to be a witness to the nations. And as this empowered witness, this will be the beginning of the restoration of Israel. The empowering will be the recreating of the kingdom of God as the Spirit hovered over creation and created the world. The Spirit of God will come down and create this new fellowship of believers that is the church. So what is beginning to unfold is that the Israel of God, as the Apostle Paul calls it, the church is being formed and a new covenantal community is being formed whose foundation is the apostles. Are you following with me here? And so they reestablish, that's just the 12 tribes, the 12 apostles. So they chose out of the two, 120 who were qualified. I realize what I just said right there might leave more questions than answers. But let's take the simple understanding at this point. Maybe we'll deal with that as we push on into Pentecost next week. But what do they do? So they apply the scriptures. They realize that they need to put someone else in the office as these apostles are, as it were, the, the 12 tribes of the new Israel, uh, if you will. So they put forward two qualifying people, uh, 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 Joseph and, and Matthias, and then they prayed some more. They were devoted to prayer, and they prayed and said, You, Lord, know the hearts of, of all. Show us which one you have chosen. They prayed some more, 25, and they acted. They acted to take place in the ministry of the apostle, which Judas has turned aside to, to go to his own place. 
Verse 26, and they cast lots for them, and the lots fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. And so they obeyed the scriptures, they acted on what they knew, they prayed, they set aside two qualifying, qualifying men, they cast lots, and the lots fell for Matthias. Know this, don't let that cause you to stumble too much. After Acts chapter 1 verse 26, we don't hear of the casting of lots anymore. The Lord sends his spirit in Acts chapter 2 in a unique way. And now the people are carried on by the power of the Holy Spirit. So what? So what? What do we be able to do when our lives are complicated, when churches are complicated, when people are complicated? What is the so what as we get this beautiful picture of a gathered church? We trust together. We obey together. We pray together. We know the Bible together. We let the Bible read us together. Then we apply the scriptures together. We choose leaders as we see in, in the rest of the New Testament. It's elders and deacons are, are the next role that, that come up in, in the early church. You choose qualifying leaders together and you do this all as a congregation together. There was 120 all taking part in this. And so they all together choose their leaders under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, under the guidance of the Spirit. And they live their lives waiting and watching and praying to see what God might be calling them to do. So, so what? As we strive for the gospel, let's obey, let's pray, let's do it together, reading the scriptures, letting the scriptures read us, and acting on what the Lord has revealed to us. Let's pray.